today at Centerpoint is, um, is a message that really is a family-type message. It pertains to those who, are, who call Centerpoint home. You say, this is my church. This is where I worship. This is the people I love. This is where I'm serving. Uh, this is where I'm plugged in. And so if you're a guest with us today, we are glad you're here. You get to be part of a family conversation a family discussion, and I hope if you're thinking, hey, I'm trying to figure out what church to go to, you go, wow, I get a chance to see what that family's about and some things that are important to them. So we're glad you're here, but I just wanted to kind of give you that heads up. Today, we want to start off just talking about uh, a remarkable account in the Bible, a story in the Bible, and it involves a, a, a kid. And so I want to ask all kids who are 18 and under to stand up for a moment, if you will. I know we have several in here. Uh, one thing, if you've noticed, uh, we've been having more and more kids coming into worship. They'll go to their kid area one hour and come in here to worship. So all the kids remain standing, okay? I just got to kind of get a look over here and see who's in the room. All right, so this is kind of our teenage section over here. Uh, 14, 13, 15, 16. You all are too old. You guys can sit down. You've been eliminated from the story. I'm sorry. doesn't pertain to you. Oh, oh, you guys are taking a seat before I even tell you, okay? So you guys are already grabbing a seat. Ruth, why are you sitting so fast? You're 12, you're 14, how old? 13, somewhere in that range, right? So Ruth's too old. All right, uh, Miracle, how old are you? Okay, you, you're in the running, okay? So you stay standing, okay? How old are you? Yeah, you're too old, you got to sit down. How old? You're too old, you got to sit down. Aiden? Oh, you're in the running. How old? I got three seven-year-olds. Oh my goodness, three seven-year-olds. Wait, am I missing somebody? Oh, how old? Five. You're too young. I'm sorry. You got to sit down. Oh, we're close. All right. Am I missing any other kids? All right. Out of these seven-year-olds, did I miss somebody? Oh, oh. How old? Three years old. I'm glad you're here and you're with your mom in worship, but you're not quite old enough yet for what I need to do today, okay? And you got your nice old uh, Captain America shirt on. I like that. All right, here we go. So out of you seven-year-olds, raise your hand. Miracle. And who else is over here? Who do I have? Caden and Aiden. Aiden, you are so well-spoken. I think you, you're going to be my selected one. Can you, you want, can you join me up here, Aiden, for a moment? Can you come up here with me on the stage? All right, Miracle, thank you. Go ahead and sit down. Caden, thank you. I only need one seven-year-old for what we're going to do. All right? What is your name again? Aiden. Aiden. He's got a tie on. He prepared for this event. <laughs> Aiden, stand right over here for a moment and face me, okay? This is what they would have done or something like this. They would have bowed before you and said, you are now king. How would you like to be king? That would be a good thing. Today's world, what that would mean is, Aiden, now you are the mayor of Lexington. You get to call all the shots in Lexington. That'd be cool. Or it could be even something like, Aiden, beyond the mayor, you're the governor of Kentucky. You get to be in charge of the entire state. Or it could have been something like, Aiden, you're going to be the president of the United States of America. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Come on now, y'all are going to participate with me on that. That's what it would have been like. That actually happened in the Bible. And the young man's name was not Aiden, though. His name was Joash. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. Go sit down back over there with your dad. All right? Sit down over there. Thank you, Aiden. 
That's what actually happened in 2 Chronicles. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he was dubbed king. Could you imagine? Could you imagine taking a seven-year-old, taking a second or third grade, maybe first grade, depending on where they're at, and say, you are now in charge of the city. You are now in charge of the state. You are now in charge of, of our country. That's what happened in 2 Chronicles. Joash was the son of King Uzziah, and he took the throne of Judah. And Joash had a remarkable counselor. His name was Jeho- Jehoiada. And the Bible makes an interesting statement in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2, when it says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of days Jehoiada was the priest. And so Joash, at seven years old, was smart enough at least to listen to the priest who had godly wisdom. And a similar statement then is repeated again in 2 Kings chapter 12 because the two accounts tie together. You see it in 2 Kings chapter 12 and in 2 Chronicles. And between the two tellings or two writings in those two books, you get the whole picture or the whole story. And Jehoiada was an important influencer in Joash's life because he was a valuable mentor. But the setting of our text... Before we read it, the setting of our text was at a time of a very genuine revival when some great things were taking place in the land and Jehoiada had led the people to tear down the house of Baal. And I'm not talking like Baal of hay. It was like the house of Baal being idol worship where they are worshiping idols other than God Almighty and all the altars and all the images that he had led them to make a new covenant of the Lord that, uh, to be the Lord's people. And they made a new commitment. They make a new commitment. And 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 3, it says, the high places. When it says the high places, it's referring to the open air, the hilltop altars the Israelites had inherited from the Canaanites and had been passed on down through time. So up in the high places where they would do their, their Baal worship or their idol worship, it says we're not taken away. The people continue to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. And what they're referring to is they were continuing in some idol worship. And even though the use of pagan altars was expressly forbidden by God, they kept pursuing these false idols and these false gods. It was a time of revival for God's people, but there was still work to be done. Some hearts were still being changed, and some people were still trying to let go of their idol worship and and their things that were false gods. But one of the things that had to be done was the temple of the Lord was in bad shape. The temple had been destroyed sometime earlier. So the young king instructed the priest to take the money collected in the annual census, the money for personal vows and the offerings, and brought, brought voluntarily above to be used to repair the house of God or God's temple wherever any needs were discovered. And you read about that in 2 Kings. It tells that part of the story. But I want us to look at how it's written about in 2 Chronicles 24, starting with verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zebiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the priest. Jehoiada chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, Go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all of Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now for the Levites 
did not act at once. Therefore the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the testimony? Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the Baals, idol worship. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the desert. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, will you speak to us today in this room? God, as we look at this account, Joash, your king at seven years old, and how you used him to rebuild your temple to reestablish your house, your gathering place where God followers would come and do their worship. Lord, would you speak to us and what that means for us in the year 2016? How does this Old Testament passage, this Old Testament story, this life of Joash, how, how does it apply to us? What do we draw out of that? Lord, would you speak to us and guide us? Open our hearts and minds to hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 5, the Bible says, but the Levites did not act quickly. In other words, they didn't move fast. 2 Kings 12, 16 says, by the 23rd year of King Joash, which would make him 30 years old, the priest had made no repairs on the house. So the temple of God was in ruins and in destruction before Joash becomes king for some time. And then he becomes king. And then they say, go do this and collect the goods and collect the money. And they didn't move and go and do it. And so for 23 years, the temple of God sat ruined and destroyed. And even though the king had given the order, 23 years later, nothing had been done. They just left that temple in sad shape, temple of God. The clear implication of 2 Kings 12 is that the priests were spending the money on themselves. They would gather some money and they'd take care of themselves and they would say, forget the temple of God. Forget things of God. And, and I know that sometimes that's almost impossible to believe. Wait a minute, they're a priest in the Old Testament. They're supposed to be good people. And, and why would any kind of leader do that? That people would actually spend money on themselves rather on his kingdom or uh, on his work. But truth be told, I think we all understand we've done that, or we do that even now. When we understand what biblical giving is and, and what biblical finances are, and we're like, yeah, but i got to have this for myself, and then, God, I'll give you a little bit. God, I'll leave a little for you. No, that's what they were doing. They were wrestling with the same things we wrestle with. Wait a minute, I want a house, but the house doesn't cost me more, and so I can't give to God. And so they wrestled through that just like we struggle through it. And so they would sometimes even do things that were unhealthy or even evil or sinful in terms of taking other people's money that's supposed to be meant for the house of God and use it for their own pleasures. In other words, the great, 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 great grandkids of the people in the day of Joash did the same things that not their so great, not so great, and not so great, and not so great grandparents had done. They were following the pattern. They were like, well, my grandparents weren't involved with that. I'm not going to do anything. Wait, my great-grandparents weren't doing that. I wouldn't do anything. I'm going to follow their pattern and use my income for me and my goods in a way that I want to handle things. 
Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, God sent the prophet Haggai, the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, with these words and said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That was their excuse. It's not time yet. Is it time for you, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses with, with this house, my house, in ruins? The challenge was you live in paneled houses. That would be like saying, you're living in some really nice homes. You're having some really nice cars. You have some really nice clothes. And you keep saying it's not time for the Lord's house to be rebuilt. But you keep putting it off while the house of the Lord is in shambles and falling apart. So Joash instructed them to stop collecting money. He told them, you guys haven't been doing it anyway, so, uh, and doing a good job. He stop collecting money, he told them. He said, get, I'll get someone else to repair the temple. And in 2 Kings 12, 8, you see this verse. It says, the priests agreed that they should take no money from the people and that they should not repair the house. So Joash was basically firing the priests that you guys are pitiful leaders. Any money you are collecting, you're not using it, right? So stop collecting. He put a, a, a call out to everybody say, no more collecting from the priest. So you can't do it because we can't trust them because you're using it wrong. It's pretty sad when you have to ask the people who are supposed to be leading and to, to be leading God's kingdom work to step aside. That's what Joash did. He said, you're not doing the work. Get out of the way. I'm glad that we have leaders here that are more concerned about God's kingdom than they're about their own pocketbook. And I'm glad that we have leaders here that when we're sitting at looking at budgets and finance stuff, constantly asking, how can we better benefit God's kingdom and God's work and use this money wisely? But that's not what they were doing. Second Chronicles 24, verse 8 says, So the king commanded, and they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. So Joash issued a command that a chest be made, placed it outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. Then he sent out a proclamation that people should come and contribute to the work on the on the house of the Lord, that the place where people worship God. So they collected enough money then to repair the temple. Look what it says in verse 13. So those who were engaged in the work labored in the repairing, went forward in their hands, and they restored the house of God to its proper condition and strengthened it. I mean, they added to it, and they made it better. They got the leaders out of the way. They said, we're going to put a chest in front of the entranceway. Now you bring your gifts, your money, your collections. You put in a chest. As the money is put there... We'll put that in the hands of the people who have the skills to build. They'll build and they'll move forward with completing God's work and restoring this house and this temple. And it says they added to it and they even made it better. What the money had left over, they were able to do other things to enhance the worship of God. What does all this have to do with us today? Brian, we're supposed to be talking about compelled. You got an email this week or received a, a text. Or about, we're supposed to be talking about the Compel campaign. How does this tie to the Compel campaign? Well, I think there's some lessons from the king we can learn. Life lessons from this young king and this idea of an ancient chest. First of all, I think we learned a lesson that God still uses men and women today. God used a man in this situation, and Joash, who was seven years old, grew to be 30, and he stood up and said, I'm tired of this. It's been going on for 23 years, and we're going to do something different. So God used young Joash to do something great for the kingdom of God. He was God's man for God's house and God's time. And when God wants to do something, I'll promise you, he'll always raise a person up, rise a person up to take on the task. And he might be even tapping your heart for some kind of ministry that he's waiting for you to say yes to. See, God anoints people. He doesn't anoint methods. He anoints people because people are God's methods. He does not work unless he works through you and works through me. He works through people. He does not work in methods. And if this world is ever going to be reached with the gospel, it'll be only happen through people like you and me. 
We've got to hear that today. God's plan of evangelism, God's plan of outreach, God's plan of sharing the good message that Jesus is the Savior of the world, His plan is that comes through the mouth of His people. And His people who call Him Savior and believe in Him as Lord. God wants to use you this morning. And the question I want to ask you to consider is are you willing and are you allowing Him? Are you ready? Will you let Him? Are you willing to sell out for God and say, God, whatever you want, I want to be yours. It's kind of the message, church. I said this is a family message, and so we've got to have kind of a family talk. We've got to get to the point, as a church body, we say, God, whatever you want, I'm your man, I'm your woman, God. It's time. It's time for us to get there. William Henry Ward said, For every achievement there is a price. For every goal there is an opponent. For every victory there is a problem. For every triumph there is a sacrifice. And I'm going to talk to you in a moment. I'm going to ask us, church, are we willing to sacrifice for God's kingdom, for God's work, so that people will know Jesus Christ? Are you willing to pay the price? Willing to face opposition? Make the sacrifice and do whatever it needs to do something great for God. Someone once penned these words and said, There's no thrill and easy sailing, when the sky is clear and blue, there's no joy in merely doing things which anyone can do. But there is some fulfillment that is mighty sweet to take when you reach a destination others thought you couldn't make. We've been on a journey and some said, oh, you're not going to be able to do that. No way you're going to pay for that bill and do that debt free. Some are telling us it's impossible. I'm standing here today saying the goals are not over. We're moving forward, dreaming and still pursuing the goals that God has laid before us. Walter Bajot said, the greatest pleasure in life is doing what people say you cannot do. And I think even some in our bodies, ah, are we going to get there? Are we going to accomplish the goal before us? The first thing we learn from Joash is God still uses men and women. And secondly, the house of God and the work of God are to be top priorities to us. The house of God and the work of God would be top priority. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 4, jo- Joash had a heart for God and God's house. They kind of went together. He said, I love God. I also know that the temple, God's house, is where God's people gather. Do you have that kind of heart? Joash decided to restore God's house. The Levites, the people in charge, the guys in charge, they were dragging their feet. And you'd think someone would have said, there's work to be done on God's house that everyone should jump right in and get it done. And you would think that would happen, but that doesn't happen. It didn't happen then, and sometimes it doesn't happen here. We say, oh, we're going to have a big old work day. We've got to work on God's house. Sometimes it's a challenge to get people to come because I don't think we understand the the necessity and and the need and and the uh, ability of what happens inside of God's house. Now, God doesn't dwell inside this house. God dwells inside the hearts of mankind. The temple is now inside of us, but when God's people gather together, then God is dwelling here. And so God dwells in a place, and He uses this place to change hearts and minds. Sometimes the very people who receive all the blessings and the benefit the most are sometimes the ones who are least to support the work of God's church. See, do you realize that the most important building in any city, I believe the most important building in any city is God's church buildings. Because every time you drive by it, it is a sign, it is a light, it is a, a notice of saying there's something goes on there and it's different. And we should care about the place that we have. And now I understand we're in America and our American culture is used to church buildings. But in the Old Testament, they were used to church building. They called them temples. And this temple was in ruins. It was uh, broken down. And they said, we got to fix that. See, God's house 
is the priority building in every city because it is a, is a light, so to speak, because this is where ministry spurs from and also ministry happens in. Lives are changed. It's not too many cases, you know it though, sometimes you walk by church buildings, you look at them, and it's like, do they really care? Do they really care about what's happening there? That's why I think it's important that weeds are pulled and flowers are trimmed and walls are painted and things are fixed because when people come by, you want them to know we care about our God and we love our God and where we gather to worship Him, we want it to be respectable to Him. When Paul writes the people of Philippi telling about the sending Timothy to to, to them, he tells them this in Philippians 2.21, he says, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's a struggle we have, I think, in our society. You would agree that many times we're taking care of me, myself, and I, and sometimes we can forget to think about what are God's needs, what does He desire. I'm asking today, and my appeal is, church, that we'll open our hearts and our minds. We'll say, I don't want to look at the interests of my own interests. I want to look at the interests of Jesus Christ, and how can we be more effective as a church making a better impact in this community? See, the local bank, I think, oftentimes looks better than churches. The local restaurant many times looks better than churches, and all they're taking care of is things that are going to fade away. See, the house of God represents the most important person in the universe and the most important work in the universe. When you drive by a church building, rather it's a building like ours that looks more similar to uh, the warehouses that we're by, or rather it's a building that has a steeple with stained glass windows, they're all representations that God is taught there, and that the work of God goes on there. It's a place where people can come to hear about Him. It's a place where people can come to know Him as Lord and Savior. It's a place where many of you have surrendered your life to Jesus and been baptized in the water and said, Jesus, I now give you my life. It's a place where lives are changed, marriages are managed, problems are solved, needs are met, destinies are determined, and God's will is done. It's a place where God's people gather. So God still uses men and women in the house of God, and the work of God are to be the top priorities. And the third thing I want you to understand from this story, from this king, is when God's people decide to pull together and do something great for God, the results are always miraculous. Would you love to see a miracle happen around here? Let me ask that question again. Would you all love to see a miracle happen around here? Would you love to be part of a miracle taking place? And you say, you know what, I was part of that. I've seen God do some miracles in this place. I think it's a miracle when someone who you don't even know and we're in the middle of just getting the church off the ground or meeting in a school passes away and says, I'm leaving $166,000 at that church. I want to see it succeed. I think it's a miracle when we had no idea with property, you could put a cell tower on it, and they come and say, oh, we're going to put a cell tower up if you will let us, and then we can do three buyouts at $150,000 up to $250,000, and those all happen at the very specific time of need. That's God's hand working and taking care of one of His churches. Verse 10 says, all the people got involved bringing their contributions and placing them in the chest. You notice what happened in verses 8 through 10? They gave obediently. They did what the king told them to do. The king said, priest, you stop collecting. Time for you to be done collecting. And he told the people, just bring your money here. Bring it right here. And they did that. Verse 10 also tells us that they gave joyfully. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly. They didn't bring it going, oh my goodness, i got to bring this because it's for God's temple. And 
we're going to rebuild God's house, but boy, I really want to go on vacation. No, they brought it with joyful hearts. I think they lived out what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9-7, that God loves a cheerful giver. When you bring your offerings weekly, are you excited about that? Are, are you thinking, man, I'm excited. I can't wait to see how God works in my church and, 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 and the ministry that we're doing together. 2 Corinthians 9-11, Paul goes on and says, you will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. See, when you give and if God blesses you with more, he's only doing that so you can be generous with it. And we can do that joyfully. And then they gave abundantly. Verse 11 said there was a large amount of money. Much money was given. And day after day they collected the money in abundance. The chest was filled and they had to empty it. Now they gathered regularly in a temple. Regularly. Verse 11, the people would fill the chest, empty it, and the people would fill it again. They did it over and over and over until the project was completed. And so they built the project, kind of the same thing we've been dreaming of. They built the project as they had the money. But it's interesting, as they built the project, the chest kept getting filled and kept getting filled and kept getting filled. Now, we're kind of in a crossroads with our Compelled campaign. On your chairs, there's a brochure called Still Compelled for you to take. I'll summarize some of the things I'm going to say from here on out. Twelve years ago, my wife and I were called to plant Centerpoint Christian Church. We had no people. There was her and I. And Luke was five, and Caleb was three, and Lily Grace was two. They were not much help at that time. They were in diapers and pull-ups. And God has blessed us with an incredible, it's now 16-acre campus. It was 18. We were able to sell two acres for Citation Road. But 16-acre campus, when people were telling the men's fellowship who was leading on a plant in a church, saying, there's no way to plant a church on that town. There's nothing going on out there. There's no houses being built out here or anything like that, right? There's no new streets going in. There's no, you know, more trees being torn down. You're, oh my goodness, when are we going to slow things down? And God has given us 16 acres dead smack in the middle of all this. This week I was uh, meeting with John King. John, would you stand up for a moment and just, just wave real quick? Maybe you don't know this. John King is the chairman of our building committee, and Lee Ricketts not here, but John and Lee Ricketts and myself make up our building team, and John and I had a couple meetings scheduled, one to fix a baptistry, and, and, and one to talk about the building, we're standing there meeting, and the guy walks in, hey, can I talk to you? He said, yeah, sure, what's going on? He lays out a plan and says, this is what's going on across the street. I said, when are they starting that? He said, any day now. It's at planning commission right now, and they're finalizing the plan, and I have it sitting in the office. It's a big old sheet. I couldn't make a copy of it. It's too big. and just got it like Thursday. With almost 400 homes, Look, looking out the front window, 400 homes across the street from us. And then if you turn this way a little bit and go on down Greendale Road just before you start up towards Citation on the right-hand side, you see all that construction going on over there? 500 apartments. And God has given us 16 acres of land in the middle of this along with whatever's happened with Masterson Station and how big that thing is going to keep going. It never stops and the other neighbors that are connected to it. And God's put us in the middle of all that. We moved in this building six years ago on 10-10-10. Many of you are part of that journey. It's an exciting time to move in here. And then we stretched ourselves to make that possible. 
We did commitments, and we did a loan because we felt like God said, it's time. you got to do a loan. you got to get out of the school. We were meeting at Meadowthorpe Elementary School and done that for six years, and the people who were leading that were somewhat tired, and, and we needed more people, and we also felt that we had this acreage of land. We needed to get the facility up to kind of be a lighthouse, so to speak, for the community, and so God did that. But I believe there's much more to do. Do you agree? I believe God didn't put this church here by accident and say, I'm going to give you 16 acres of land and you just be happy with your two to 300 people that come and tell everyone else, hey, we don't have enough room for you. I don't think that's God's desire. That's not what he's put inside of my heart. See, the challenge before us is this, is we need to make more room. We need more room. Here, here's what our leaders have chosen to do. I'm telling you, it's a choice led by the Holy Spirit directing us in prayer, we are in complete unity, our leadership on this. One is the, the leaders launched a journey three years ago called Compelled. And many of you were in this room when we started that, and, and on that journey, many of you made commitments to that. We made a choice to pay down $100,000 in debt on this current facility before we do any kind of addition. Now, I'm glad to tell you, many of you know this, we've completed that goal in this Compelled campaign. Is that not awesome? That's right. Because we believe in being wise in, in, in stewardship of, of our debt management. And so that goal is part of the Compel campaign. That was goal number one. That goal has been accomplished. We made a God-led choice. We made a God-led choice to not build anything else until we can pay for that with cash. Do it debt-free. We said we don't need more debt. And just as the people in the story of Joash sometimes told them they're crazy, i got to tell you, there are some people that tell us we're crazy. Why are you doing that? You need to build that now. you got all those homes going up right now. You need to just get that done. Just go borrow the money. Take care of it. No, your leaders here are committed that the Holy Spirit, God has directed us and said, we're going to build that thing with cash because we're not thinking about the short term or what's going to happen in the next three or four or five years. We're thinking about this church for 10 and 15 and 20 and 50 years, and we don't want to sack it with a bunch of debt that will stranglehold us. And so we're committed to doing it debt-free. Now let me show you the plan, and many of you have seen this picture, but just let me just review with you what we have going on. This picture is out in the lobby. You can see this. This right here is the original building that we have right now. And I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to see some construction on this part of the building in the next few months, because if you're not aware, we've had faulty panels out there, and some of you have seen them, and we've got to uh, thank you again. John, I've got to pat you on the back because he's been on a journey with me. Uh, working with the company who put those panels up. We met with them this week, and they're going to give us a whole complete new skin out here to repair these panels. And so you'll see construction. That's an answer to prayer because we've been praying and saying, God, we can't afford that. The panels are faulty. And they said, you know what? It's our mistake, and they're going to come out. And so in the next few months, you're going to see some construction to redo the, 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 the tan skin out here all the way down the side there and all the way here will all be redone. So when that starts happening, you're like, what are they doing? That has nothing to do with the building at that end of the building. But that's going to start happening. And then we're going to add on from right here, this corner, on down this way right here. That's approximately 4,000 square foot, give or take a few, depending on how dollars work out. We work through the architects and everything. Uh, show us the next screen. This is the addition that we're looking to add on, this section right here. This is the current student ministry room, junior high and senior high gathering right here. And this is the current kids point room. So our desire is to add on space here that would be elementary room. We're going to put a few offices along this side. If you don't know this, but we don't have offices in this building besides just one main office that Kelly works at. The rest of us pop some tables up. We work throughout the week. We tear it down for church on Sunday. So we're going to put just a few small offices. Here's a larger space for junior high, senior high, elementary area. 
couple rooms. We can divide off the classrooms. We want to put a couple classrooms over here. We'll determine youth, le youth area, adult areas. And then right here, we plan to make a preschool uh, large motor play area um, where they can have some area when they're here on Sunday morning for a couple hours. They can be in their classrooms and go and play and so forth. So we've been trying to figure out how do we skin this cat and how do we make this happen and do this debt-free. And so what are you now, where we're at, as we continue to talk, we do not have the full architectural drawings because that takes a lot of funds, and we're trying to talk with different builders to say, help us guide us down the road. Right now, in order to put up the outside walls and to put the roof on, that would be like phase two, we need approximately $200,000 more to reach our goal. Then after we do that, then we'll be able to come inside and do the walls. Our hope is once we start doing the outside walls, you guys will be so excited, and we'll be excited, and God's going to provide in a miraculous way. We'll keep construction going, be able to finish up the whole project to make room for students, junior high, high school kids, elementary kids, do some cool things in here for preschool kids. This would give us some flexible rooms that we can do some stuff either with the elementary kids or even to do in some adult rooms for some small groups or some Bible studies that can take place in there. And so that is kind of an overall just planned goal because we are out of space for students. We're out of space for elementary kids. We need to create more space. Now, we have $195,000 and some change in a bank account right now at an organization called Christian Financial Resources Earning Interest. We've already paid down $100,000 in current debt. So altogether, we brought in about $295,000. That's partially because of a cell tower deal, and a largest part of it is because of your giving so far over the last three years. But we need about $200,000 more to get this under roof. It'll take more to finish it out. So phase one, pay down debt. Phase two, put up the walls and the roof. Phase three, finish the interior. Sounds like a huge amount of money. At least it does to me because I know I can't write that kind of check. I probably couldn't even write, you know, a, a tenth of that check. Couldn't even write probably 1% today and just write that check and say, here we go. Sounds like a huge amount of money by man's standards. Sounds like to me a lot of money. To you, maybe not. For some of you, maybe deal with bigger numbers. For some of you, you're like, that's overwhelming. That's more than my house is. is. Remember Joshua and Cable in the Old Testament? When they went into the other spies to check on the promised land, the other spies said, we can't do this. There are giants in there inside those walled cities. And Caleb and Joshua said, if the Lord is with us, he'll bring us into this land and he will give it to us. I believe that the Lord is in this. He will continue to provide and he'll make this addition happen through us. If we're willing to say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. We need to raise about $200,000. My challenge to you today, church, is can we do that over the next 12 months? Can we do that over the next 12 months so by this time next year we could see some ground being broken? We could, we could see some things starting to take place where they say, how can we do that over the next 12 months? Let's just play with some numbers for just sake of example. 200,000 divided by, we have about 300 people who call Center Point home. That's $667 per person per year. Could you say, you know what? I can find $667. I can pray and ask God to provide that. Or $200,000 divided by approximately that 300 people is about 90 families. That's $2,200 per family over the next 12 months to say, you know what? I'm going to give so that we can see this dream that God's put in our hearts and see it happen. $667 over 12 months is only $56 a month or $13 a week. 
So when you start breaking it down, it's not a ton of money when we do it together. $2,222 per family is $185 a month or $43 a week. And I know it's not going to break out just even like that. I understand it because some of you go, man, to give $2,000 for the next year, that would just stretch us remarkably. We don't know how we possibly do that. But you may set a goal in your mind and say, you know what? I'm going to set a goal, and it's going to be a sacrificial goal, and my goal is going to be $1,000 over, over the next year. For some of you, $2,000, you could write that check today, and it wouldn't bother you one bit. You may say, you know what? My goal needs to be $5,000, or my goal needs to be $10,000 in the next 12 months if we're going to reach this $200,000 to start this process. I'm not suggesting what you should give. It's just an illustration of how with God's help this is possible when He works through God's people. He works through God's people. Miraculous things can happen when we all pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Pray and ask God, what is my part? Many have already been giving on a regular basis. Some of you even asked, Brian, we're coming near the end of that campaign or we're there. What's next? Will you continue? If you've been giving in the last three years, will you continue giving? And will you pray and say, God, should I increase? And God, if I increase, show me how. I'm asking you to pray and ask God, God, would you stretch us to be sacrificial givers and give us a heart of joy as we go on this journey? I'm asking you to pray, ask God, God, what do you want me to sacrifice? God, what can my family sacrifice for God's kingdom over the next 12 months? Just think about a few items with me, if you might. Can you cut your TV bill? That may be a sacrifice for 12 months. I'll tell you, just by picking up the telephone, I was able to drop $50 off my TV bill. If you haven't called your TV provider, direct TV cable in, in a while, and said, hey, my bill's too much, I need you to drop it, that could save you money instantly. And you could say, God, I'm going to put that towards this campaign. Or what about instead of going out to a movie? Stay home and watch it on Netflix. I mean, $11.50 a ticket. You think about that. For my family of five, $11.50 a ticket to go out, that's over $50 just in tickets, and then the popcorns and drinks always come up $50. We'll spend $100 in one night just to go to a movie if we go out to a movie. What about for the next year to say, you know what, we're not going to the theater. We like to watch movies, but we're going to stay home and watch whatever kind of television we have. Most of us probably have at least a 36-inch, but many have 42 or 55, or some of you have 70, and some of you have projectors on your walls. So what about just saying, God, we're going to just stay home and put that money instead of going to the theater, and it's a fun experience, but we're going to put it towards a command. What about skipping Starbucks or wherever it is that you go and spend 4 or $5 for a drink? Or what about just skipping a lunch once or twice a week instead of going out for lunch and spending 6 to $8? What about saying, you know what, I'm going to brown bag it this week. And if you don't like to brown bag it, I can tell you right now, because this is what I do, I go over to Kroger and they run deals all the time on those frozen food things. You can get frozen meals for about $1.50 a piece if you use the right coupons and load up your freezer at work and say, those are mine. Don't even touch them. And then you can just eat them as you want. And you can eat two in one day and you still only spent three bucks. I'm not saying people shouldn't watch TV and I'm not saying by no means you shouldn't go to Starbucks or shouldn't go to the movies. I'm just saying... Can we find a way together over the next year seeking God? You've got to ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this? And, and I was talking to people this week and just trying to brainstorm, okay, am I saying this right? Am I communicating this right? What did you say? And someone said to me this week, I would just tell them, listen, if you love God and you love his church and you love what's happening at Centerpoint, then step up and give. I said, well, I can't say that, so I'm telling you someone else told me that. <laughs> so they told me. If you love God's kingdom, 
You love the work of God. What are you willing to let go of and say, God, I'll make the sacrifice. You say today, I don't know, but are you willing to pray about it and say, God, we've got to make some sacrifices because we're getting surrounded by homes and we need space for these kids. And I'll tell you, as you reach kids, you reach moms and dads. $13 a week from 300 people equals $202,000. And by next year this time, we could be breaking ground. How are we going to do that? I want us to do what Joash did. Previous two campaigns we walked through as a church, one to build this building and one to build uh, start this compelled, we asked you to make three-year commitments. We asked you to fill out a commitment card. I'm not asking you to fill out any kind of commitment card. I'm not going to ask you to make any kind of commitment that you have to announce to anybody. I'm asking you what Joe asked, asked the people to do. I'm asking you to bring your gifts and put them in a chest. Now, I asked uh, Daryl Foss right down here front to make me a chest. He does great woodwork been rather sick, and he called her and said, I'm going to struggle to get this thing done by Sunday. And I said, let's get someone else. And so Rex Hughes jumped in and helped him finish it out this week. And the chest is 95% done. They want to do a couple other tweaks on it and kind of wrap it up. And, but I want to show it to you anyway. I said, I want, to show, I want to show the church. And so they made this chest right here for us as a church to represent and kind of do the exact same thing Joash did when they said, let's rebuild something. Made this chest, and this chest right here, is going to be our chest for giving, for still compelled. To still love, share the love of Christ and make room for more people, more children to come and know Jesus Christ. And so this chest, I know they want to put a, we want to put a lock on it and they want to do some staining to it and a couple other little things. This chest is going to be sitting around. It's either going to be inside this worship center or it's going to be out in the lobby. It's going to be here constantly. And so if you're coming over here for a small group, you're like, oh, I want to drop that gift off. This chest will be available. You can drop it off. And all dollars given inside this chest are going towards the addition of the Compel campaign. Just like Joash did. Joash said, bring your gifts. And they brought it gladly. I'm asking church, can you bring your gifts gladly? Now, this is not your regular ties and your regular offerings. Sometimes you do campaigns, people get that confused. You've got to keep your regular giving regular. This is above and beyond. This is an offering. This is above and beyond your regular giving. And one year from today, one year from this time, Lord willing... God will provide through us, and we'll go, oh my goodness, look what we did, a miracle. It took us three years to get where we are today. Could you see a miracle in the next 12 months that we have $200,000 more? See, one year from today, we could be breaking ground if we do what the Levites did in Joash's day. Remember, 23 years later, nothing had been done. It took 23 years, and Joash had to put the box in front of him and said, would you just honor your God? See, if we give obediently, if we give joyfully, we give abundantly like the people did in the days of Joash, with God's helping, I believe we can do this. I believe it's possible. I want to show you one last passage. This is the driving passage of the Compelled Campaign, and it still drives us today for the idea of being still compelled. Second Corinthians, we went through this passage a few weeks ago. If we are out of our mind, as some say, some people say, you're crazy to build that debt-free. You're crazy to add on. Why would you do that? If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're out of our right mind, it is for you. We are totally doing this to make room to reach more students and more elementary kids, make more room to reach this community. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. For Christ's love compels us. Will you allow the love of Christ to compel you so much that you'll start praying about this fervently, 
that you'll start seeking God, saying, God, show me, where, where's my sacrifice? God, show me, where's my part? What do I do? How do I do this? Why? Because we want others to know who Christ is. And i got to tell you, at the same time we're doing this, there's some good dreaming going on. We had a great meeting at our house about how do we get out and serve our community last week with 26 adults there who are just dreaming and saying, how do we go out to our streets? So we don't want to add on just to say to come. We want to add on so that as we go out and we serve people in this community, we love people in this community, and they say, I want to come, we say, good, come. we got plenty of room for you. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to bring more people to Jesus Christ? Are you going to be able to live for the next 12 years compelled for the love of Christ? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we lay this at your feet. God, this idea that we adopt from your king, Joash, who you selected at the age of seven, and then, Lord, it took 23 years, but then he stood up and said, it's time. Lord, you guided them to build a chest, and you said, bring your gifts, and they brought their gifts, Lord, and they restored your temple, and they made it even better. Lord, would you work in us in such a miraculous way? that we would want to be sacrificial givers, that we would truly seek your heart and seek your mind, and we would say, all right, God, what can we do so that in the next 12 months we'll get there and we'll start, Lord, this addition for your church building here, Lord, for this facility, Lord, this lighthouse in the middle of this community that continues to grow, where there's homes going across the street and down the street and all around us, Lord. We want this to be a place that shines the light of Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you move in our hearts and our minds? Would you show us, Lord, where we can sacrifice, Lord? Would you give us joyful hearts to be part of your work here at Centerpoint in this endeavor? Father, create in us in a heart that is compelled by the love of Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.